in order to really help people, you have to be able to know what they need. They don't need someone just living through their sympathy. In order to really help them with the empathy, sure, you want to be able to connect and feel, but you want to be able to take them out of themselves and practice this by taking care of your needs first and then helping others. You want to transform yourself and improve your life. You long to help people. You wish to become healthier, happier, and more successful. This show is your opportunity to learn how to use hypnosis to make your life better. Each week, hypnotist Robbie Spear Miller interviews people who have already changed their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. These models can help you discover your path to making the most of your life. If you want to learn how hypnosis can help you reach your goals, this show is for you. Hello, everybody. I'm Robbie Spear Miller, the host of the Hypnosis Show podcast. Today, I'm our theme is going to be to talk about how being an empath can help you with the career of being a hypnotist or really anything to do with people, and also how it can get in the way of relationships or taking care of yourself or helping other people get results. We have lots and lots of uh, clients and students who, who have very strong empathic abilities, and sometimes it's exhausting because they get too caught up in other people's stuff, or it can make them lose sight of what needs to happen. Um, but having this ability is also a huge benefit in terms of being able to read people and to connect with people and help them get what they came for. Um, So we're going to be meeting with um, somebody who I've known for many years. She is a hypnotist and trainer with the Master Hypnotist Society. She owns two clinics in the Los Angeles area. So let's welcome Carmela Tunzi to talk to us about this today. Welcome, Carmela. Hi, Robbie. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, this is great. And you're you are really a perfect person to talk about this. Um, and it's funny because I, in a way, you and I are kind of opposite in that you've always been, you know, an extreme empath and and taken a lot of you know, it was a big part of how you are in the world and you are with people. And, you know, my natural tendency is to go the other direction and be much more uh, to the point. And so it's been interesting for me to watch you over the years grow into uh, changing this. And I've also learned how to become, you know, go more in the direction of, let's say, being open to my empathic skills, because I always have them, but I had really high boundaries about them. And for you, you had, and for me, it seemed kind of overly vulnerable to be empathic. Um, I felt like I had to protect myself from it. And for you, it was like always your superpower and you took a lot of pride in it. So I think it would be really interesting to explore this theme and and kind of help people get, wrap their minds around how to develop this kind of flexibility. Awesome, Robbie. Well, I must start with, like you, we've known each other for quite some time. And I don't think I ever had the opportunity to tell you this. But when I was um, kind of doing my reverse engineering for future pacing of who I'd like to model, you are one of the people that I chose. And quite frankly, because I saw your success um, and and have been watching it. And so it's been, you know, very powerful to take what's useful in our our different um, teaching styles and apply it to ourselves and for others. Um, But that being said, as far as the topic, 
um, when you first messaged me um, about, you know, how being prideful of this, um, you know, talent skill, I, I don't think it's really a talent. I think it was something that was learned and um, emulated um, early on in my life. But I had to cringe a little bit. I had I have to tell you because um, as I as I you know read the topic, we certainly know that being prideful of anything is not useful. Um, we say in our practices, you know, we're not you know making the behavior negative or positive, but is it useful or unuseful? So being prideful of you know having a skill. Um, of any kind kind of takes you back to self. And we are looking as trainers to help our students and our clients to see the world outside of being too internal. So um, for example, you know, we know many of the masters had this uh, skill, Virginia Satir, Milton Erickson. We know that they went through um, kind of different types of suffering early on in their youth. and But they learned this skill because they were kind of stuck in their situation. I think Virginia was in a foster home and learned how to read people based on what she was seeing in their communication style and, you know, then went on to study. And, I, you know, I don't want to go into her whole life span. But over time, this behavior of being compulsive other kind of took her out of taking care of herself too much. And so that's where, you know, being too prideful of this behavior certainly isn't helpful to the practitioner, myself included, because you kind of get lost in the um, the person or the people that you're working with. So I think our trainer, Scott McFall, would say, you know, if you can't be inside of a bottle and read the label, right? So the whole purpose of being an empath or um, getting into rapport, actually, and it, again, is a learned skill, is to be able to go into the, the client's model of the world, the student's model of the world, and to be able to pull them out to a useful behavior. So you don't want to get inside, you know, their model of the world and kind of get stuck in there because then how can you lead them out? You know, it's match, pace, and lead so that they are able to go into the behavior that they want. Um, And so I think that is a, a short way to describe it. Right. So you're really good at the matching part where you, you're really good at picking up on how people feel and what, what it might be like to be them. And you're, you've learned mm-hmm. how to get better at the, the pace, the leading part where you're saying, okay, we see where you are now and here's where we need to go next. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yes. That's, that's a, that's a more useful way of doing it. The unuseful way would be to take on their behavior. And, 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 you know, kind of like not know and have their goal in mind. So it's kind of like the difference between empathy and sympathy. We don't want to just give sympathy. You know, we, we don't even want to hear the story usually with our clients. We want to see after hearing why they're there, what is their outcome? What is it that they actually want to go to? Um, sometimes it's hard for them to do this. So when we take on their attitudes, values, and beliefs and see the world as they do, then it becomes easier for us to see the world how they see it and then to begin to create the roadmap of how it is that they can achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So like, tell us a little bit about how you came to be interested in hypnosis and, and discovering this, you know, this empath ability that you have and, and kind of in the context of there, I'm sure there were many ways that it's helped you in your past and the things you've done and maybe some areas where it might've been challenging for you. So share a little bit with us about like your personal story that way. Sure, definitely. Um, I think, you know, I I really didn't think about this so much, maybe even before the interview, um, because quite frankly, we don't really dive into the past so much. But in reflecting, um, you know, we learn certain behaviors from our caregivers, and this is what we know to be true. So in my particular um, family dimension, um, it was very unusual for being an Italian, <laughs> growing up with a, with a, a nationality that is known to be um, very loud and um, communicating in that way. My particular caregivers, my parents, I love them dearly, but they never, ever fought. So what I mean by never, I mean never, I voice fought. So I really had no idea what was happening many times I would walk into a room and there was a certain energy that I could sense. Now, I didn't really, like I said, spend a lot of time thinking about this in the past. It just became a very familiar, almost like sixth sense. You um, become, you know, aware that, you know, there's a different, you know, way of talking. They're they're not talking. Um, And maybe there is, you know, a posture, certainly Milton Erickson, um, might, you know, have spent some time being the observer in this way also, although he had extreme, you know, um, illness um, in polio that prevented him from moving or, or interacting with people in certain ways. I didn't have any illnesses, but what I was aware of is that there was something different in the way that they were communicating. And so I think that's where my, my awareness of like the energy behind, um, communication started to develop. And so then what happens, I think when you're early on, you start to look at like, well, what is this my fault? You know, is this something that I did? And so then you want to become, you know, the people pleaser. And so that's a whole other can of worms, right? Um, that many empaths, I believe, take that on. They they want to, they want to have the need to be able to help the others, you know, in this case, um, it might have been my mother, you know, and, you know, trying to satisfy the needs of the other at, at a selfless, um, uh, you know, kind of position. And so then it becomes a habit. So you, there's an assumption that there's maybe something wrong in the way that you're communicating or doing. And so then all of a sudden, the deep need to be, you know, useful or helpful comes into play. And then, you know, we're going into the martyr position, which definitely is not useful, right? So, and as I may fast forward, how this can be helpful with working with clients is, you know, and Scott will, you know, definitely has taught us a lot about this, is to be able to see the person. So you're seeing, you're not really hearing the story. You're watching their posture. You're watching their expression in their face, your their breath rate, your then as you're watching them and, and you're really seeing them, you can imagine um, and, and actually feeling them at this point because you're matching them. You can imagine what the world would be like 
being in their shoes, right? But you don't want to stay in that position. And you don't certainly don't want to do this with every single person that comes in your life because it's exhausting. And then guess what happens? You forget to take care of, of yourself, um, which I definitely have fallen into. And so then what happens is this cycle of being you know, too tired to take care of your own needs and then even worse, resentful of you know, maybe people that are in your life that, you know, are used to this behavior. And by the way, they oftentimes don't ask you to do, you know, too much for them. Um, So the unuseful behavior is to want to give and please uh, constantly and, and kind of step into their shoes and forget about taking care of your needs. And so you get you know, to a point where when your needs aren't being taken care of, then you can get resentful. So the behavior needs to be a little flexible. You need to take care of yourself, like the metaphor of being on the plane. You have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and so that you can help, you know, the person in the seat next to you and then go back and forth. So the real way to do this is to use it as a skill that you can turn on and off and have the boundary um, you know, the boundary setting of saying no. I, I actually just um, today uh, listened to your wonderful interview with our um, colleague, Julie Nice, and how she was talking to her, her client and teaching her the boundary setting of saying no. And, you know, in a, in a gentle, nice way. Um, but that really helps like to refuel, you know, yourself. So to be aware, I guess, for anybody listening, to this, any other practitioners or um, people in, in our fields, you know, I'm we're not therapists, and you know, I don't know how specifically they're being trained, but we certainly do not want to hold on to this and kind of lose ourselves in our practice. Because by the way, it hurts us financially. Because if we're too tired to keep, you know, after our goals, you know, we can't we can't go through our own. Um, you know, checklist of things to do to take care of our business needs, our our mental needs, our spiritual needs, our, our relationship needs. Um, you get too tired. So I think that that is a, a pros and cons um, kind of way of, of describing and a little bit of my history. Yeah. Okay. So where this came from for you was that you, it was the way you coped with what happened as a kid. You saw things happening in your family and you, the way you coped with mm-hmm. it was to feel like you needed to fix it or make people feel better and that you needed to come into a room yeah. and read the room and respond accordingly. Yeah. So, so that your way of coping was to, you felt like if you didn't do that, that you, that you might be abandoned or it was your fault. That was the, the little kid belief about that. Thank you for saying that. And because you're reminding me of, yes, um, and it is a coping mechanism. I did try to rebel at one point um, and and take care of myself only. And and the pendulum swung too far the other way. So as a practitioner, you know, I I found it like, you know, useful to kind of like be selfless and, um, to really focus and hone in on the client's needs, but you really have to step outside of yourself and model yourself and see your behavior. You know, again, is it useful or unuseful? What is the perfect balance in this? And you said a key word there. Um, you know, it kind of uh, discovers or un, un, unveils um, patterns that are so deep that you might not even be aware of. And the comment of ab- abandonment. 
um, you know, it wasn't even before working with Scott um, that I might have realized that, you know, part of the reason that people that take on this skill and the empath is that deep need of connection. And when that connection is not there, it does feel kind of like a void. And so that would kind of touch upon the abandonment issue. But if you're taking care of self truly and you're filling all your needs, then that abandonment isn't there because wherever you are, you're there. So there's not a need for someone else to fill that void for you, but yourself and and to have healthy, mature relationships, knowing when, you know, to be with the people that you need to be with. And you know, the other thing that might happen is, unfortunately, as, as far as talking about relationships, is being this way has a tendency to also attract people unconsciously that kind of see you from far away and they see your light and they want to take, take it. They need that light. And so you find yourself at times, you know, giving too much to people that are not able to give back to you. And um, that is unfortunate. And it, it is the cycle of an empath to have the tendency to attract people in their lives who don't know how to give you back. It's not a fault. It's just that they haven't learned the skills. They haven't, you know, dealt with how to model that from their life experience. And so they have to be taught how to give, just like the empath has to be taught how to give, you know, not so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I look at this, like from the point of view of my growing up, I, I, what my way of coping was to say to be a strong, successful person that I needed to be more objective. So I grew up with this fear that I would get lost in emotion because I saw people around me getting lost in emotion. And so I looked at it as a really negative thing. And so that was, you know, what I chose to value or how I choose, chose to cope with things, which really has nothing to do with the actual ability of being an empath. It was just that my boundaries my way of coping was to put that boundary super high. And so it was just mm -hmm. really the opposite way that the same kinds of things might have happened, but it was an opposite way of uh, interacting with it. Right. Yeah. Your example of the pendulum swinging is important because sometimes if, we, if we're in one direction, so let's say if somebody is really empathic and then they start taking care of themselves and setting boundaries and something terrible happens because of it, they might retreat back to, oh, well, I have to be an empath and, and double down on that because they had that one experience that proved that it was you know, dangerous maybe to be selfish or to take care of yourself. Yes. There is another topic that comes up with that. Even when you're learning how to take care of your needs, there's a gentle way that this should happen. In my experience, when I started to become aware of um, my own needs needing to be met, even before I started practicing hypnosis, I had a life experience where um, I was in the middle of a financial crisis, actually. And as I began to focus on my own need to kind of reframe how I was going to look at this and, and take action, people that were very used to me being that person always there actually dramatically cut me out of their life because they, they found it to be so hurtful that all of a sudden I was not able to give what they were familiar with, what they were constant and several people like just caught me out of their life. And that was very painful. 
um, you know, in retrospect, I would have handled it a little bit differently instead of going extreme, you know, the opposite, um, because the person is not aware. They're not in your model of the world. They have no idea what is happening or, or know how to take on, you know, what the empath is actually feeling. So it, it becomes like a, a very gentle thing that needs to happen back and forth um, and to be just fully aware of all the components that are happening if you're already in the dynamics of, of relationship with certain people. Right. So sometimes it shows you who your real friends are and who really cares about you because Absolutely. if they care about you and you need to take care of yourself, they'll still care about you while you're taking care of yourself. But if they were just there to get yes. stuff from you, whatever it was that they wanted from you and you can't give it anymore and then they leave, it shows you, you know, if they were yep. truly a friend or if they were just there as a taker. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so one thing that I think a lot of empaths struggle with is there's a huge time delay or a life experience delay in discovering who their real friends are or the people who really care about them. Mm -hmm. Because when we care about other mm -hmm. people, we're assuming they care about us too. And, and then your need to yes. be needed, if that's being met, then you don't really go beyond that and say, hey, is there anything else really here? Or is this relationship all based right. on me satisfying somebody else's needs? Yes. Yeah. So, and so from my point of view, I would say like coming at this from my direction where I had to, to be, I guess, make peace or welcome my empathic abilities more or feel safe expressing them. I discovered that if I was more open to people or more connected, that I could build better relationships with them. Right. So I was missing the mm -hmm. the the initial connection and being in rapport piece. And and but in terms of the boundary setting, that was okay. And you were the one who needed to say, mm -hmm. okay, now we're connected and in rapport. And hey, what happens when I do set a boundary? And, and to see if this person really is meant to be there. Yes. I, in fact, I think I recall that I called you once um, to teach me how you do it. Um, and no joke, like for people that haven't learned how to set boundaries well, they really don't know how to do it. And it feels so foreign and, and you're, you know, so concerned with others getting their feelings hurt or not responding the way you'd like them to do or, or worse, stop talking to you or all of these silly things where you, you know, as you become more um, skilled with doing this, it's just a skill. You just turn it on and off and, um, you know, kind of have like even with your clients, maybe not personal relationships, but having a ritual of being able to be with the person and then going into you, um, not lose yourself in, in that behavior. You know, what came to mind also when I was thinking about this conversation was there's several actors um, that do this emulation. And, and I don't know if I would call it empath so much, but they literally step into the shoes of the characters they're going into. And when they're actually outside of it, I've heard them comment, um, uh, Jim Carrey's one, and I'm thinking of um, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp once said he doesn't even know who he is. And so that that is a thing that 
we as empath will go through. Like we have to be reminded of taking care of ourselves. What is good for us? What is a, a useful behavior for us taking care of ourselves? Um, and so it really takes modeling self and kind of looking, like I mentioned earlier, outside of the bottle and reading the label so that you know who you are. Boundaries are important. Mm-hmm. So, right. So extreme empaths, they're in danger of getting kidnapped into somebody else's life. And it happens so fast. Yes. They don't even know what happened. You don't know how to escape. Yes. Yes. How'd I get here? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Great. So talk a little bit about, like, give us some specific examples of how things are better for you now that you do know how to set these boundaries. So it could be with working with your clients or students or maybe in your personal relationships. But I I would love to hear just, we have a lot, a lot of students who are empaths and who struggle with this. So I think it's great for them to hear real life examples of how things have improved. Sure, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that have changed has changed for me in even, you know, during the pandemic, there was still the com- the want of the compulsion of giving, giving, giving. So what I learned there was, well, you know, I have an opportunity now to actually grow my practice because I'm taking care of my financial needs as I'm taking care of others. So I saw opportunities of business growth. If I wasn't really looking at my needs, you know, financial needs that start there, then I wouldn't see the opportunity of growing my practice. That's where the second clinic came into play. The other thing that has recently um, brought me back to focus is actually losing weight. Um, I'm, you know, currently releasing weight. I just lost four pounds. And so that's a small victory for me. I'm going to keep going. Um, but if I'm just hyper-focused on the, the needs of my clients, I'm literally answered a text message while I'm in interview with you. That's how we do that. So setting a boundary of, nope, this is my time to take care of my needs. I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm going to, you know, or I cut off, you know, a certain time that I can just watch mindless, you know, Netflix is important because I will get text messages up to 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, the the need to want to respond is still there. So I have to be real clear um, and, and definitive at what's useful and not useful. Those are like small examples. How can I take care of Like, how can I model someone that is in a weight loss program if I'm not having the behaviors myself, right? So, and how is, how is that helpful is I'm not getting depleted. I'm feeling more confident about myself. I can, you know, be the example. Um, If I'm just in it with them, we're both suffering together. How is that useful? So I, I hope that answers it. Um, you know, like more specifically, like how people can use this for themselves. Just be balanced, mm-hmm. take care of, be the person that you want your clients to be. I said this to my students yesterday. I said, I want you to be aware of your behavior and know that kind of like magic, who you are kind of shows up. So if you're, you know, functioning in a certain way that's useful, cool, you get to teach that to your client. If you're functioning in a way that's unuseful, how are you going to model that for your client so that they know that they can change? So we have to start with ourselves in that respect. 
I think one of the really powerful things about what we do is that people are involved in a group experience where they're meeting people who have different tendencies. And so we have this group culture where you can actually model people in different directions. Like, for example, I learned a lot from modeling the people like you who are empaths, and you learn a lot from modeling people like me who are better at setting boundaries. And so if you're in my real life, if I wasn't in this group with you, it's unlikely that you and I would really get to know each other because we're not really dovetailing each other's needs properly, right? Like you, you, you wouldn't really be able to be an empath to me the way you would want to. So you wouldn't be attracted to hanging out with me. And I would probably be going, oh, she just gets wrapped up in all the drama, right? And I wouldn't be attracted to spending time with you. And so because we're in this group experience, we actually get to know each other in ways we we wouldn't in real life because you and I, we wouldn't really normally be like a match that way, right? We wouldn't have the the yin and yang, the the that 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 experience with each other. And so it, it really helps to to have that uh, opportunity to to meet people and get to know people who are really different from you. It's rewarding in that, like you mentioned, we would, first of all, be with people that we normally wouldn't be with um, as far as communication and learning and and also very valuable self-judgment. You know, is it useful or un- unuseful? So when when we hear stories of others that are having the same sort of experiences, it makes you feel like you're not alone in in the parts that still you need to learn. So there's room to stretch and grow. And there's also, you know, people years ahead of you, such as yourself and a couple of the other master trainers, that it kind of, to me, is inspirational to see your achievements, um, you know, well beyond the years that I've been in the group. So it, being in the group is, is very uh, rewarding. And I don't know that I would have a membership core need, but certainly see the value of, of you know, connecting. And I feel like I've grown, you know, a lot since being in the trainers group versus when I was just under mentorship by myself. Um, so it, it's so useful and it, and it's been so powerful and, and great, um, experience. And, you know, sometimes we even form little friendships and within that mostly professional dynamics. Um, and yeah, it, it's become a very powerful part of my life. I, I wouldn't want to not ever be in the Master Hypnotist Society trainer group, for sure. In order to really help people, you have to be able to know what they need. And they don't need someone just living through their sympathy in order to really help them with the empathy. Sure, you want to be able to connect and feel but you want to be able to take them out of themselves and practice this skill by taking care of your needs first and then helping others. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott McFall expressed this really well the other day where he said, you don't want to feel good because you're helping people. You want to feel good that you're watching people be successful at getting results. Because sometimes we, you know, if you're an empath and you 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 want to feel good, we all feel good when we help people. That's true, right? And that's a good thing. 
um, but to be able to to take it as far as they need to get the actual results, because sometimes we feel a sense of accomplishment too soon in terms of, let's say a client's coming for weight loss and they say, oh, I feel so much better. Um, I, I'm so much more relaxed and my relationships are so much better. I don't even care if I lose the weight. Well, no, they came for weight loss, so we need to make sure they're also getting the weight loss results. But if we if we tend to feel good too soon about helping people, that kind of comment might trick us into thinking, feeling good about mm-hmm. what happened there and, and losing sight of the actual client outcome. So I think that that's an important uh, way of looking at things, that we want to see the actual results and, and to be, make sure our focus is staying there. So one of the things that we all need to be good at is is to be careful about getting compliments from clients or students, because if we take that compliment in and we think, oh, wow, we did our job, then we're not actually holding them accountable to follow through. And some students actually use giving compliments as a tool to get the, the pressure off of them. They figure if they compliment the instructor, then they don't have to follow through, not on purpose. Often this is subconscious. But to not fall, to not fall for that and to make sure you're keeping sight of where the client needs to go or the student needs to go, I think is a really important thing that we all need to be aware of. Yes. And I've heard Scott say many times, believe the action, not the words, not the words, but are they losing weight? Are they, are they, you know, taking action, listening to their hypnosis, believe the action, watch them see them, not the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually reminds me of a student I had a number of years ago, and and she was a really great person at audiencing people. So she loved just like enjoying people and celebrating whatever they were good at and making them feel good. She was so good at it, so good at it that she could keep the attention off herself so she could get away with anything as long as she was audiencing people. And when I wouldn't allow her to do this, she said to me things like, Robbie, are we breaking up? Because she thought I didn't like her Um, (laughs) when really it was just refocused and making sure she actually did what she needed to do, right? Because all she wanted to do was was learn more about me and have me talk about me. And I kept turning it back to her. And, and nobody had ever done that for her before. And I remember her saying how she had in the past been to see therapists. And she was so good at this that she would actually do this with the therapist and they would feel like good spending time with her and they felt like she was fine she didn't need any help but the only reason they thought that is because she was so good at audiencing them and they felt good around her so she managed to play that magic trick on people and and she knew she was playing that trick right so i i think that 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 example is really interesting she was aware other people might be so good at this they're not aware that they're doing it but it can be a way to take the pressure off yourself because it always feels better to um cheer somebody else on or appreciate them or help them with something they need help with than it does to pay attention to ourselves and what we need to do and so i think that's an important theme to look for in clients and students um, because many many people are really good at this yes and transference um, that issue of transference are they coming 
um, to your office because they just want to connect and feel good? Are they seeing you through, you know, the the eyes of what they uh, project as a parent or a sibling? You know, why are they there? Um, and and to interrupt that sometimes, you know, it it might feel, especially as an empath, um, a little, uh, you know, you're being a little stern. But the tough love is what needs to happen. So, you know, with rapport, you can lead people just about anywhere um, and and explaining why that behavior isn't isn't correct. I've had instances of people, you know, wanting to come and, and share their unuseful behaviors. And I interrupt the pattern um, and remind them that we're not here to vent. We're here to see if this pattern is useful or unuseful. And I don't want to be the parent. I'm the hypnotist. I'm not your mother. Although we say you want, you know, to care for your clients in a benevolent way. Um, But you certainly want to be a hypnotist first and be able to interrupt the patterns um, lovingly and take them in the direction of where they need to go. Which is what a parent would want to do too. (laughs) Yes. Right. Like if you're you're parenting in a really if you're as a parent keeping your eye on what the child needs, then that tough love would be part of being a parent as well. That we really are looking at where does this person need to grow to be happy and successful and do what they need to do, whether it's right. a parent or as a parent or as a hypnotist or, or whatever. Yeah. So, so for those yeah. people who, when they're first learning hypnosis, sometimes uh, we have students who are really uncomfortable with getting people into the pain of the problem because they feel, oh no, they're not going to like me or I'm going to offend them. And so it's really keeping clear about, you, you really want to look at it like if your child was running in front of a moving car, you would go and grab them out of the way and you wouldn't try to be polite about it or worry about how they feel. Now, of course, we do want to be as um, loving and diplomatic as possible as we do this but we we need to really realize that we need to help people level and lay things on the table in a useful way otherwise they're not going to change and 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 if somebody's running in front of a moving car but it's in slow motion it's still important that we go grab grab them and make sure they get out of their way and and often when people come to see us for help that is what's happening Hundred percent, yes. Be careful of the car. <laughs> no, get out of the way. <laughs> right. Look both ways before you cross the street. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes people need to touch the hot stove to know that they shouldn't touch a hot stove. But there is sometimes the lesson of the the real life lesson can be too harsh if we let people actually go there, Mm -hmm. right? Like running in front of a moving car. Mm -hmm. So how do we create an experience for people to help them uh, shift and change in ways that will help keep them safe and achieving and succeeding is really what we're going for. Right, right. Great. So tell people how they can get in touch with you. Sure, absolutely. Um, My website is mindflowhypnosis.com. Um, uh, that's the main one or Sherman Oaks hypnosis.com. And they can call me at any time or text me at 323-573-7707.
Great. And if anybody wants to find out more about how hypnosis training can help you, you can go to our website, hypnosistrainingcanada.com. We have a bunch of free goodies that you can download there to help you learn more. And if you're ready to move forward with training, we can set up a time for a free consultation to see if this is a good fit for you. So you can do that at the website, hypnosistrainingcanada.com, or you can call 800-971-5774. We do a free 30 to 40 minute consultation to see what you're looking for and what you need and to see if this is a good fit for you. So thanks, Carmela. It was great to chat and really interesting to hear about your take on all of this. Thank you for having me. And I learned a lot. Yeah. And I hope this inspires people who are either overly empathic or more in my direction where they've been developed really high boundaries about being an empath to start engaging in that, that flexibility and to let that pendulum swing in, in, a, in a place that's, that's more balanced. And there's never perfect balance, but to have it in a place that is more useful for them where they have more choice. Um, so that, that's my hope with people listening to this podcast. So good to see you, Carmela. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Robbie. Bye. Bye. When people give too much or do too much, it can often lead to stress, resentment, relationship problems, and burnout. Next week's podcast will open your eyes to how to get your needs better met and at the same time experience less stress and improve your relationships. And if you're wanting to discover more about how hypnosis training can help you, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule your free consultation. Remember to click the button to subscribe, share this podcast with a friend, and please leave us a review so you can help others benefit from the podcast too. Until next week. You've been listening to The Hypnosis Show with Robbie Spear Miller. Tune in next time to learn more about how you can change your life with hypnosis. And if you are interested in learning more about training opportunities, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule a free consultation.